Hey everyone, welcome to Huron Chapel. We're so glad you could join us for today's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at huronchapel.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's podcast. When I begin a message, often I like to begin by asking you a question, kind of get you thinking. And the question I want to ask you today is, where's the glory for you? Where's the glory for you? Uh, and we're going to understand why this question when we get to the end of 1 Samuel chapter 4. And if you get a chance to find that in your Bibles, please go ahead. We will get there eventually and be reading from that. But let me just talk, start talking about glory. I think glory, for the most part for us, is very fleeting. I heard, uh, I heard a woman say this week that she couldn't wait until she grew up and can do whatever she wanted. Parents can't, won't hold me back any longer. Oh, that will be glory for me. And uh, she said, she went on to say, well, I grew up. I went to college far away. My parents drove me. They helped me settle in. And they said goodbye. And they drove off. And I was so lonely. And I found myself wishing I was just a little girl again. Um, We know that um, glory is fleeting, especially... I think in the life of celebrities, because they get all this limelight, all this attention, suddenly it starts to die, the glory fades. And so they often do something that's not wise, not good to get the limelight back on them, anything, just to get their name back in the news again. Uh, The glory of wealth is fleeting. Rockefeller, one of the most richest men ever, he was the first uh, American billionaire. And even back in the 1900s, if he was a billionaire, that means even today, standards, he's still one of the uh, most wealthiest men in modern history. And you probably know this, but a reporter asked him, how much money is enough? And he responded, just a little more. The glory of wealth is fleeting. It's never enough. My favorite football team is the um, New England Patriots. Uh, Tom Brady is my favorite quarterback. And when he was just 27 years old, they interviewed him on 60 Minutes. And he said, you know, he said on that interview, I've already won three Super Bowls, signed a massive multi-million dollar contract with the Patriots, but he told 60 Minutes, with all this success, it still feels like there's something missing, there's something more, and he said, and I quote, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there's something greater out there for me? It's got to be more than this. And he was asked, well, what is it? He goes, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. He was searching for glory that doesn't fade. Where is the glory for you? And I think of glory, I think of that passage that Andrew read for us in Isaiah chapter 6 today. I think of, of how Isaiah experienced the glory of God. He went into the inner, he was the priest, went into the innermost part of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was, and this is where the presence of God is. And we read this morning how it says, I saw the Lord, he was sitting on a lofty throne. And then he began to talk about how there these heavenly creatures called seraphims attending the Lord. And Isaiah said, they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. So here comes Isaiah encountering the glory of God. And you wonder, well, how does that impact somebody? How does one respond to that? How does that, what does that feel like? Well, Isaiah tells us, he says in verse five, it's all over, I'm doomed. That's how I feel. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people of filthy lips. 
And if you ever spend time in church, then you'll hear us talking about God's glory. We, we sing about it. We preach about it. We testify about it. And the word for glory in the original language is, um, is uh, kabed, kabod. And it's, only, it's the same, comes from the same root word as weight, kabed, which means heavy or weight. And the, the, the words are kind of inner, depending if you're using it, a noun or, or a verb. And so when you hear about God's glory, they're really talking about the weight of God, not, not literally, but the substance, the gravity of his presence, the, uh, that, that he brings these qualities that, that, that impact us, like holiness and goodness and justice and honor. And when it comes to these characteristics and the others that God has, they, he brings them in super abundance. And the glory of heaven just weighs and packs our life. It's so incredible. So when the Bible speaks of glory, it's speaking about what carries weight in your life. What impacts you most? What is the glory for you in your life? This is how I think of it. This is how, how I see it. I, I picture, picture a stagnant pond. It's dead. There's no life in it. Nothing can grow on its shores. And you pick up a heavy rock and you throw it into the stagnant pond. And ripples respond to the impact of the weight of that rock. But after time, the ripples cease. And, and the pond returns to its lifeless, flat, calm existence. The glory of the world is like this. It's fleeting. It makes an impact, but it's temporary. And soon it dissipates to the point where you don't even, wouldn't even know it was there. The glory of God is different. The glory of God is so heavy that it's like taking the heavy, such a big, heavy rock, when you drop it in that stagnant pond, all the water is cast out. Nothing of the stagnant water is left. And it's so heavy that that rock breaks into the ground and cracks it open and fresh, fresh uh, springs of, of water come up and fill that place that was once dead. And it keeps filling. In the same way, the glory of God, when it impacts you, you don't just, you can't remain the same. Your life has changed. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. And you see that in people. You see when someone has been impacted by the glory of God, you don't have to, you can tell that this person is new. They, they are not old. They're not dwelling in the ways of, of, of sin and being self-centered and self-importance. They are now for God and with God and impacted by the power and the glory of God. That's what Isaiah countered in the temple that day. And when you're impacted by the glory of God, when the weight of God impresses upon you with his holiness, you're not just different, you are new. You cannot experience the glory of God and remain the same. If you remember anything today, you cannot experience the glory of God in your life and remain the same. That's what Isaiah discovered. He came in the presence of God. His only response was this, I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among people of filthy lips. Isaiah could no longer hide 
His sin became evident. All he could see was his sin. When he was in face with the glory of God. I think I mentioned this before. It's a humbling story, but I remember as a teenage boy going to church camp. And I I loved going to camp. Um, I remember I arrived um, this particular year at night, and the full moon was casting a soft light. And I met this uh, Greek girl from Toronto. And she was beautiful. There in the moonlight, the girl was very attractive. We hung out together. We talked and we laughed. We didn't cry. There was, little, there was little spark happening between us, and that night we went back to our respected uh, cabins, and we said, we'll see you again in the morning. And I was anticipating meeting her up with her the next day. When the morning came, I found her, but I was shocked. She looked completely different in the daylight. Her outward beauty was gone. She was not the same pretty girl I'd met in the moonlight. In fact, she wasn't attractive at all, and she probably felt the same way about me as well. <laughs> Don't laugh. You're saying, no, Mark, that couldn't be the case. I can't see that. And I was dumbfounded. What happened? Like, in a course of hours, how did so much change happen? Well, what was happening is I saw her in the soft moonlight. She was stunning. But in the harsh, honest light of day, she looked frightful. I mean, bad. Sorry, bad. <laughs> I got to go back to forgiveness here. Somewhere. But, it, you know, the daylight exposed every blemish, every fault. Um, the soft moonlight could no longer hide them. Isaiah, he thought he was pretty good. I'm a priest among the people. I'm wearing these religious robes. I have self-importance. I'm going into the temple. I'm doing this on behalf of the people. I'm going to be, you know, presenting a sacrifice for the, uh, the sins of the people. He felt he was pretty good what was happening to him. And in the moonlight of the world's glory, he did look pretty good. But once he came into the light of God's glory, he said, I became undone. And I wonder in your life if you've had that experience, where you come undone because you've come before the glory of God. And all the excuses, all the justifications, all the whatever you have, it just disappears. You say, God, I'm just a sinful person. Once Isaiah confessed those sins, once he humbled himself, God did something amazing. He didn't say, okay, uh, you, now you know who you are, I'm just, just get away, or you know that you're doomed, and that's how you will live your life as a doomed person. No, uh, Isaiah said that, in fact, that what happened at that point is one of the seraphims flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips, and with it he said, see, this coal has touched your lips, now your guilt is removed. And your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine going from I'm doomed, I have no hope, to God saying, actually, you can have hope. You are forgiven. Your guilt will be taken away. And when Isaiah got this and understood this, his response to God was such a gratitude. He said, because God's saying, now I need someone to go and minister with, for me and be my messenger. Who would that be? And Isaiah's going, me, 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 me. Pick me. It says, here I am. Send me, it says in the scripture. And there's a connection, I believe, between those people you see who lovingly and selflessly serve God, and it seems to be so much gratitude, and, and, and they have so much uh, joy out of doing it, and I would, I would guarantee you at some point in their life, they encountered the glory of God, where they realized that they were undone, that they were doomed, and heard the forgiving words of Jesus, and said, well, if you confess this, I will forgive you. 
I'll remove your guilt. And they went, wow, really? And in response, they go, me, me, send me. I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to be part of that. Eli and his sons had that chance. Remember? The sons were, were told, what you're doing is wrong. Eli, Samuel came to Eli and said, what you're doing, God says, is not right. But they didn't respond. With confession. Instead, their hearts became hardened. And they died in their sin when they could have died to their sin. So we're going to look at Samuel chapter 4, if you have it ready, and understand why we're asking the question, where's the glory for you? Uh, Verse 1, chapter 4. It says, at that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. Uh, The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer, and the Philistines at Ephek. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. And they were always at war with with the Philistines. And after the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp. The elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by these Philistines? Then they said, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, where the temple was. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. So the Philistines, they're this mighty war machine. They are organized. They got it together. They fought. They defeated the Israelites. And the Israelites are going, what's going on? What happened? Why did we lose this fight? And you know, these elders said, well, what happened was God was not with us. And, and that's right, God was not with them. But they should have went further and inquired, why isn't God with us? God says, because of your sin. Because you're not repentant. It's because you're lying on yourself. You're lying on other things but me. So instead of asking God or repenting, they immediately go and grab this Ark of the Covenant. They're going to bring it into battle with him and force God's hand, saying, now we'll win. The Ark of the Covenant was this ornamented box that, where the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments were placed. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had two tablets, because one belonged to man, one belonged to God. It's like when we sign a contract today, both parties sign a contract, both receive the contract, and you have it there to hold the other accountable. In the same way, Moses brought two tablets down. One was, and both of them were put in the Ark of the Covenant to remind that this agreement, this covenant we made with each other, there's God's copy. This is what God will do. Here's our copy. This is what we will do. And they brought, they had this Ark, but they're putting their faith in the Ark. They made the Ark a substitute for the presence of God. In fact, you look at verse 4. This is what they said. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, if we carry it, into the battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. That's where their hope was. That's where they're placing their faith. It will save us, not God, but the box where the stones of those commandments, that covenant is placed, it will save us. They're not putting their trust in God. They're putting actually God in a box and trusting this is going to save us. And I wonder, do you have any it's in your life like that? We're not in God, not coming to the glory of God, not coming before him, but you put your faith in something else, saying, that will save me. And we do that today. It may not be a boss, but it may be something like this. I go to church, so I'm going to be okay. I'm a good person. I'm better than most people, so I'm going to be okay. I I come from a church family, so I'm going to be all right. Or I believe there is a God, a higher power, so I believe in God, so I'm going to be okay. And just like Isaiah, we think we are all right. We're okay until we encounter the glory of God when the the heaviness of his holiness and his righteousness and his goodness weighs down on us. We can no longer stand there and say, I'm okay. If we get that and see that, we're going to say, I'm not. 
I'm a sinner. I am doomed. And then God steps in, okay, if you confess that and you mean that, I will forgive you. Yeah, I want forgiveness. I'll take your guilt away. Please take my guilt away. Would you serve me? Yes, here I am. I will go. So we read uh, in, in the next few verses, the Israelites do bring the ark into the battle. And starting in verse 10, this is what we read. So the Philistines fought desperately, and Israel was defeated again. Um, the slaughter was great. Last time lost 4,000. This time lost 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The ark of, the God, of God was captured. And Hophni and Phinehas, the priests, the two sons of Eli, were killed. Dale Ralph Davis writes this, when we, whether Israelites or Christians, operate this way, the way that they did, our concern is not to seek God, but to control him. Not to submit to God, but to use him. We are interested in success, not repentance. What a difference. Israel grabbed the ark, ran into battle, saying, we're, not, we're just interested in success, when they should have been interested in coming before the glory of God, saying, I need to repent. I need to change. God, I'm sorry for what I'm doing, what I've done. The old-time commentator, Adam Clark, said this, the vain, they vainly supposed that the ark could save them when the God it had departed from uh, when the God of it had departed from them because of their wickedness. wickedness. So verse 18, when the messenger mentioned what happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. If you have the King James Version, it says, for the man was old and heavy. Remember the word heavy? Same word for glory. But it wasn't the glory of Eli. It was now that he was heavy. And the author does this, I believe, on purpose. One time, it was about the glory for Eli. One time, it was about mediating between man and God. It was about being a priest. It was about being God's representative. But now he was just heavy. And he was blind, physically and spiritually. There was no glory. Now you say, where's the glory for Eli? Where's the, he just, no, he's just heavy. It killed him. The glory has departed. All the reminders and assurance of God's presence and protection and provision were taken away from Israel in that day. In the space of a day, the ark was captured. Hophni and Phinehas, the priests, were killed. Eli, the judge, the, the older priest, died. And they must have thought, God has left us. He has left the building. We are doomed. Verse 19, we read this in closing. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near her time of delivery when she heard that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law, that's Eli, and her husband Phinehas were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth. But before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer or, or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabod, which means, this is where we're asking the question, where's the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named this, this because the Ark of Covenant had been captured. She, she under, didn't understand what the glory really was. And because her father-in-law and husband were dead, then she said, the glory is departed from Israel. The Ark of God has been captured. And just like Eli, just like the people, she misunderstood where the glory of God really was. It wasn't in a thing. It wasn't in the it. And just like H.L. Ellison searched, she had it all wrong. The glory of God had departed, not because the Ark of God had been captured, 
the ark had been captured because the glory had already departed. The Bible calls us to think differently about glory. Where is the glory now? And the Bible answers that question by saying, the word has become flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. That's Jesus. Do you see that? Have you experienced that? Come before the Lord and, and to say, God, Christ is here. He is present. And I understand who I am, and I understand who he is. And your cry is for forgiveness. It's, it, your, your, your actions are one of repentance. Your desire is to serve just like as it was for Isaiah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story. It reminds us, Lord, that glory is fleeting, that we sometimes put our trust in the wrong things and the it's of life, even things that might be religious, God, and they don't save us, God. Only you can save us. So I pray for each one of us, God, that we would, we would if we haven't, that we'd find that place where we would come before you and, and, and understand and, that you are this awesome God who is glorified and that your glory weigh heavy on us. We would see uh, who we really are. We would not try to excuse ourselves or escape or justify or try to hide ourselves behind actions of the seem religious, but we're not. That we would be honest with you, God. We have to be. One day we're going to be. When we face you, Lord, we're going to be. So, Lord, thanks for the opportunity now that we can say, I'm a sinner. I want to be forgiven. Take my guilt away and use me. I want to serve you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open doorway for you to enter into our community. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. Please remember to visit HuronChapel.com for more information about our church.